Good morning, happy Monday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, a very busy Monday. Uh, first item is a little bit of housekeeping in regards to the intensive. I'm getting a lot of questions about the next intensive since this is the new year. Looks like it's gonna be somewhere in the, around the middle of March. Start planning that. I should have the date locked down actually this week, so I'll probably announce that. Um, if you're interested in the intensive, the, the first group that gets uh, dibs on, on application is on my email list. So if you go to the end of any blog on, on BillHartmanPT.com, BillHartmanPT.com, go to the end of the blog there, there's a place where you can um, get signed up for that list so you get first dibs. Um, so again, intensive, somewhere middle March, probably announced this week. Okay, digging into today's Q&A. This is with Victor. We've talked to Victor before. Victor's a chiropractor, and um, he's running into a couple of uh, uh, presentations that are very, very similar. Um, patients with a very flat appearance to the upper back, always complaining about lower cervical, lower neck issues. Uh, this tends to be a situation where we have a uh, limitation in the dorsal rostral area. So if we look at Alfred here, it's gonna be this area between the scapula, um, upper DR is gonna be here, and that's gonna affect the lower cervical spine position quite a bit. Um, the compression is gonna take away your rotations because you basically eliminated any gradient that is um, available to allow those turns to take place. And so we talk about a treatment sequence actually that he can utilize to actually restore that gradient and then be able to apply his, his typical manual therapies that he would do as a chiropractor. So this is a very useful um, discussion for those of you that are that are questioning like, like, okay, what is the sequence of events that we're using to resolve these issues? This would be a very, very good one. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, just like Victor, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it, and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I will see you tomorrow. Clock has started. We are rolling. Go ahead. All right. So I've run into a lot of particularly females in clinic so far with a lot of upper trap tension, neck tension, of course, that goes along with that. Yep. And they seem the shape of their thorax seems to be this wide shoulder, flat T-spine kind of a archetype, so to speak. And I interpret that as dorsal rostral compression. Yep. Uh, but I just wanted to hear any of your thoughts of other things to consider. Of course, restoring dynamic ISA would be, I would assume, step one. Um, but yeah, I just, I wanted okay. to hear. Well, let, let's, let's talk about the end representation first so we have an understanding of that. And then we can sort of, you know, progressively strip these things away. So if you've got somebody that, that has limited, especially limited rotation, which you're, I'm, I'm sure you're evaluating it in some way, shape or form. So if you've got an upper DR that is compressed, so people will complain about, you know, upper trapezius, lower cervical spine kind of stuff. It'll, it'll feel stiff. Like, you know, they're, they're the people that try to back out of their driveway, you know, and can't turn their head, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So they have to, hopefully they have the cameras, you know, in their car. <laughs> Um, where they can actually see themselves um, back out of the car. But if, so if you've got upper, upper DR compression, then you know you've got a lower cervical spine that is in an IR force producing position. So it is gonna be compressed as well. And that is going to take away the turns. So it doesn't mean they can't turn their head at all, but it's gonna be upper cervical 
uh, spine that's going to be producing that that type of a rotation. Okay. Now, if you were to apply um, some form of manual therapy, the goal would be to restore um, the expansive capability of those segments to allow them to start to turn again. So, so this comes down to, okay, what are going to be your choices? Because you do manual therapy as part of your, your gig, right? And, and so um, now you're going to have to make a, a really well-educated decision as to, as to what approach you're going to take with this. Because if you've got upper DR compression, I got news for you. You got AP compression throughout under most circumstances. Are they, these are wide ISA people? Uh, the couple that I've uh, taken the time to assess, yes, they are. Yeah. Okay. So number one, limited turning capability to begin with based on archetype. Okay. Um, they're going to initiate after the, the, the diaphragmatic compensatory strategy to, to take the breath in, you're going to see a DR compression. So right away, you know where you're going to have to, to strip away, but they're going to they're going to lose both. So they're going to lose ERs and IRs. They're going to use orientations to create their internal rotation. And so again, this is why they start to get that lower cervical spine stuff because the thorax is anteriorly oriented and the spine is pushing downward, like I said, in that IR. Because remember, IR is down, ER is up under these circumstances. And so all they're doing is putting downward pressure. Um, you don't want to look at this in isolation. I would encourage you to consider the entire axial scope. Huh? <laughs> that you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just, you know, occasionally, you know, you can get symptomatic relief in isolation. Right. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But you want to look at this from, from the, the, the broader viewpoint of like, okay, um, everything works together nothing works in isolation. And so, so, but, but again, ultimately you're going to have to start thinking about, okay, this is going to end up being a, a situation where the, the DR and upper DR need expansion. So you restore the ER representation of the lower cervical spine, because that's where all the motion is. Right. Right. So let's say they are the couple that are wide. Is there, I mean, I guess it's kind of a goofy question, some efficient manual therapy setup to have them in sideline to yes. help with that? Yes. Yeah. So um, have you ever seen the uh, scapular decompression video on my YouTube channel? Yes, were well, they uh, supine? I believe no, they're side. That, no, no, that's that's the depression oh, you're thinking of. Yes, yes, no, this is uh, this is the side lying version where you're gonna. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna bring the scap off the thorax, and then as you drive uh, uh, expansion, that's gonna help. You're, you're literally manually creating the dr space to allow mm -hmm. that that to expand under those circumstances. That's a great place to start from a manual perspective. What you're lacking. So here's the big. Here's the here's the thing. Have you have you manipulated yet? Yes. Okay. So you did the you did like the like the T one through three kind of stuff, and then the lower cervical, right? Yeah, I'm a sucker <laughs> for the thumb move. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Everybody loves that one. Um, but 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 limited success. Uh, it's actually so I'll get a cavitation. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about making noises. I'm talking about, yeah. about the rest restoration of turns. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I didn't go back and reassess my. Okay. You, you need to, you need right. to. Right. Here's my point. Here's my point. 
when you've got an AP compression and you're trying to restore turns, one of the limiting factors in, in the desired outcome, which is the restoration of those turns, is the fact that you don't have a big enough gradient, okay? So if you've got somebody that's AP yeah. compressed, listen, if you've got somebody that's AP compressed, you can create the cavitation at the joint level, but you might not get the, the change in muscle orientation that you need to create the, the joint movement, okay? So here's what I would suggest. You do activities or manual therapies to create the expansive strategy first, then deliver your manual therapy. Now you've got a bigger gradient. So when you create, when you, man, when you manipulate, you're creating an IR force. If you've got a position of the spine that's already IR'd, IR'd, you might not have a big enough gradient to make the muscle change, okay? Anytime, like if you do, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're Cairo, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you, you do ART? Yes. Okay, so here you go. So you do, you do your lower cervical, upper thoracic, ART stuff to create the expansion. So you're gonna be going like, um, you go upper trap, you go rhomboid, you go serratus uh, posterior superior, right? All those, mm -hmm. you get all of those. You do your lower cervical stuff as well with the turns. So you're gonna do, do, do that, then deliver your high velocity stuff and you're gonna get a much better response. You'll always get a better response with a better gradient. And it's not just the cavitations I'm talking about. I'm talking about the muscle orientation change because when you manipulate, you create an IR force on one side and the ER on the other side, you will get you will get a reorientation of muscle and you will get a bigger turn. Do you see how it works? Yes, that totally makes sense. I've been thinking a lot about the gradient aspect uh, the last couple of weeks, but um, that's a whole. Sometimes you have to create you have to create the gradient first, and then all of the manual stuff that like like again the the deeper manual stuff that it would be skeletal in its response works so much better, but you've got, you've got to you give yourself an opportunity. Again, no gradient, no change. Uh, yeah, that makes, yeah, it's simple enough to make, that makes total it, it sense. It sounds simple, but, but now you're working with humans, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> there's that part. <laughs> Good morning, happy Tuesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, digging into a very busy uh, Tuesday. Quick reminder, uh, the next intensive will be in March. We're narrowing down the dates right now. Um, should have those announced by the end of the week. Get yourself signed up on the mentorship list. Go to any uh, blog on BillHartmanPT.com. At the end of the blog, you'll find a place where you can put your email address in there. You'll be the first notified. You will have first dibs on application to the intensive in March. Digging into today's Q&A, this is with Jack. Jack asked some great foundational questions that I think is gonna be helpful for, for a lot of people. Um, we started off discussing a very specific activity, uh, the better band pull apart, and as to why it would influence the dorsal rostral expansion and not posterior lower. So that was a, an interesting clarification and again, probably very useful for a lot of people. Then we moved into um, just some influences of anterior posterior expansion on shoulder rotation and then some very specific considerations 
um, in regards to narrow ISA individuals and why we see the relationships that we do. So thank you, Jack. Great foundational questions. Very useful, again, for a lot of people. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday. Get yourself signed up on the mentorship list um, so you can get first dibs on application to the intensive, and I will see you tomorrow. All right, we are recording. Clock has started, Jack, go ahead. All right, Bill, so uh, I got some questions about posterior expansion. Yep. And um, here, let me pull up. So I've seen you use exercises like the dorsal rostral, uh, the band pull apart to uh -huh. get some like dorsal rostral expansion. Yes, sir. And I've also heard you mention you could use that to get some posterior lower expansion too. Okay. And uh, ahead, finish, I'll, I'll finish that off. Um, and yeah. obviously, well, you probably know what I'm going to say, but mm -hmm. uh, I feel that I see that usually with like an exhalation representation, the posterior lower expansion. So okay. I was just a little confused how you could tackle those simultaneously. Okay, so we have to we have to determine when. So when we say expansion, we have to determine um, what what element that, that we are discussing. Okay, so when you think about like an early propulsive representation in the pelvis, you've got a counternutated sacrum on the um, erd ilium. Okay, and so. That would be representative of eccentric orientation near the base of the sacrum. You would have a concentrically oriented posterior lower. However, in an early representation, the connective tissue would be biased towards a yielding action, not an overcoming action. So when you're doing a better band pull apart, you're actually duplicating that early representation of the pelvis. So the, the dorsal rostral is reorienting reorienting into an eccentric orientation that's an inhaled representation and then posterior lower because of the delay that is being created by the position. So your weight bearing um, is, is you're holding the posterior weight bearing position, which creates a delay, which is a yielding action of the connective tissue. So posterior lower in the thorax is concentrically oriented, but it's using the uh, connective tissue expanded representation, which is the yielding action. Therefore, both are being represented, but you're trying to recapture an early representation um, under those circumstances, because that's where you have the ER space that's created, and then you're starting to superimpose the internal rotation on top of that. And so this is the easiest way to reacquire the relative motions under that circumstance. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you got to, yes, I see. You just have to, you just have to clarify um, when we talk about expansion, it's like, okay, are we talking about a reorientation, which is changing the joint position, or are we talking about the connective tissue behavior, which is also expansive, but does not yeah. change the joint position? So your yep, interpretation, so your understand, like, like, I love the fact that you understand it, because this is a great question, because people make, they, they, they make the leap and the assumption is like, whenever we're talking about expansion, we're talking about changing muscle orientation. When the reality right. is we have to differentiate between connective tissue behaviors and muscle orientation, because the muscle orientation tells us about bony position. 
Mm-hmm. And then the muscle or the connective tissue orientation tells us whether we're, we're storing energy, creating a delay strategy, or we're creating an overcoming where we're actually producing force, okay, and then creating the compressive element. Perfect. Yeah, that clears up a lot. That kind of set my mind for a whirl when I was thinking about this and trying to, uh, right. so I'm glad I got your take, but uh, I see. Okay, so um, I'll move on to my next question then. Can you see me when I pull out of this just because I... I, I cannot. It, it, it comes okay, up in but, the big green J. It's okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll jump back I'm in. I'm sure people then. want to um, see your face though, Jack. Oh, I know. That's what I was worried about. <laughs> so, uh, okay. And um, now uh, we could talk anterior expansion a little bit. Yeah. So it might, may be similar, but I just want to hear your take on it. So yeah. um I know the inhalation representation is anterior, anterior to posterior expansion. So you'd be getting both, correct? Yes, sir. And also, uh, exhalation is, or internal rotation is also an element of, or anterior expansion is an element of, uh, internal rotation and exhalation, right? Uno momento. So, okay. Let's clarify that point. Okay. You have to have anterior expansion available to create internal rotation. Okay. Okay. So how, if if you were, hang on, if you were compressed anteriorly, Mm. you would not have any internal rotation available to you in regards to the extremity motion. Okay. So let's use the shoulder for an, for an example. If your sternum was compressed downward, you would not have internal rotation available to you. So here's how it works. And this, I think this is gonna answer your question, okay? So let's say you got an up, a legitimate up pump handle. So normal expansion anteriorly. As you perform the internal rotation, what is actually happening is you are creating the compression by, by the rotation and the pump handle is actually going down as you perform the range of motion. Okay. So think about twisting a towel. Mm-hmm. So when you twist a towel, it starts expanded. And the more you twist it, the tighter the towel gets. So imagine yes. taking your arm and that being the twisted towel. So you're twisting the arm into internal rotation. So I have to start with the expanded representation because as I twist, that expansion disappears. And then that's where the range of motion stops is when you hit the point of compression. Gotcha. You see it? Interesting. Yeah, so that wasn't how I was If you don't have the expansion to start with, you don't have any access to the range of motion. If I'm already compressed, guess what? No access uh, yeah. to internal rotation. Right. You can, it's Get like it? you, you, need, you need a start there to be able to, or like you Correct. need to start even. Like I, I see, I see. Okay. Jack, let me, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me throw you a big hint. Okay. Wherever range of motion stops, whether it's limited within the averages or at the end range, there is compression. Okay. That, that's, okay. Why joint, yeah. that's why joint range of motion is not unlimited is because the compression is what stops the range of motion from occurring. So for me to move into any space, I have to have expansion in that direction. And then as I move that space, or as I move, I compress, and then my range of motion will stop. Nice. So that's why, okay, someone that's compressed like A to P, they almost would have zero internal and external rotation because they 
really can't, they don't have a space to compress. Thousand right? percent. That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. Okay. You know yeah, how I was talking gonna... about how I always talk about space moving away from the middle, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why they have to orient. So, so now they don't have the segmental relative motions available to them. So they have to move their extremities outward to find a space that they can actually move in. So these are the people okay. that have to, that when, like when they squat, they have to move their feet really far apart or they have to toe out because they, that, that's the only space that they have available for them to move into. Yeah, because they, they can't create it like in the joint. Well, it's not it's in self, front of like, like, like literally there's no, there's no space yeah. in front of them anymore because they get compressed yeah. this way. So space moves in around them and it moves their space out. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have to think about this for a little bit, but I, right. it's changing my, it's changing I my I still have to think about it too, man. And yeah, I know it's every day. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So, uh, I guess I'll move on then. Okay. Um, I don't know how, I don't really, I don't see a timer or anything. So you just okay. got to keep me updated. I got a timer. Right. Um, okay. So uh, a little bit about wides and narrows. Um, <laughs> so I kind of see in a narrow, I would, in my mind that the, in a narrow, the exhaled, like lower rib cage, the ISA yes, uh, kind of, would that be pushed since it's closing off? would that be pushing like gas volume upward? And is that like expanding their like A to P like inhalation capabilities or is that not correct because it's coming like later in the sequence? Right. Okay. So um, the, the closing of the ISA is a compensatory strategy to produce an exhale on somebody that is biased towards inhalation. So the system is already, in its expanded inhaled ERD representation, okay? And the, yes. the, way that, the way that you'll understand this is if you take a big breath in and then hold it and then never breathe out, okay? Eventually, you're, eventually you're gonna wanna get the air out so you can breathe in yeah. again, right? Right. So, so yeah. this is a person that, that has such a strong bias um, towards inhalation and they have to find a way to exhale. So they use a compensatory strategy to exhale. So that is using a superficial muscle like external oblique to close the ISA. So the diaphragm can move up into the exhaled representation. Mm. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that clears that up. Uh, so I'll like continue on the wides and narrows. Um, uh-huh. So let's just like if you were to look at it athlete um so i would i kind of picture the narrow as more like this slender like elastic guy kind of like a kevin durant i mean obviously we can't jump to conclusions on that because there's so many different representations but like would they i like say in activities during like uh jumping or sprinting um i feel like they wouldn't they wouldn't have as much hit bend as the like as wides would Sorry. and they would, would have, have like what uh hip bending like hip uh into bend. the yeah right so they're kind of like not sinking into the ground contact so they would have like maybe quicker ground contacts is am i having like a correct interpretation of that um, or is it kind of just too like variable they will 
they will tend so the so they will tend to take a little bit more time to produce force. So so they're not as as fast. It doesn't mean they can't produce force. It just means that they might not be as fast at it. Okay, because they have a little bit more of the eccentrically oriented representation of the anterior outlet of the pelvis. So they have to push it up to produce the upward force. Right. So they're pretty good at, at downward force. Um, but as far as being quicker to produce it, not necessarily so. Um, but, but the potential, I mean, it, again, everybody has the, the potential to, to produce the force. It, and there's a, there's a couple other factors, not just a wide versus narrow that influence how well you produce a force. Um, again, because the, you know, some people have more down, downward velocity internally and some people have better upward velocity internally. And those are gonna be the guys that you see that are the really good jumpers or really good sprinters are the guys that, that have a bias that allows them to stay in the air longer. So yeah. like le legitimately they can stay in the air longer than, than other people can because the, the internal, um, the dynamics, the fluid dynamics internally um, allow them to um, easily produce upward velocity versus the people that are kind of stuck to the ground and have like a four inch vertical jump. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not that yeah. they're weak or anything. It's literally that their internal dynamics are shoving them into the ground at such a, a high velocity. Right. So there's like, yeah, there's just multiple factors that there is. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's okay. There's always In multiple everything. factors. Like we're trying to simplify things for understanding. Um, mm -hmm. So we can apply some heuristics and rules of thumb because this stuff is way, I mean, there are way too many factors that for us to even understand everything that goes into this. And so we're, we're trying to use structure and physics as a guide to produce the desired outcome. Right. Yeah. We'll never know everything, huh? No, I'm afraid not. It's too bad. I'm afraid oh, not. It would be <laughs> nice, but I, I can't imagine knowing everything. It, it, yeah. What, what would you do? Actually, I don't even, I don't even think that would be too fun. <laughs> Nothing to uh, learn. That would be terrible. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. so uh, while we're talking about learning, maybe. Uh, so I, I'm about to start a coaching job or a trainer job. So, um, yeah. So, um, I'm kind of. I need a filtering system, and I mean, not really for the coaching because I want to like, but uh, just gathering uh, external information. So, do you have any tips on like developing a filtering system? And yep. Yeah, how should first, go about the, that starting my it, first it's it's, it's actually not terribly complicated. The the first thing that you have to do is you have to formulate questions. Okay. And and then then there is purpose in the things that you are trying to learn. So instead of just saying, "Oh, I'm going to learn about this or I'm going to learn about this, or, I'm going to learn about this." It's like you can get away with some of that some of the time, but for right. you to actually learn something, there has to be an emotional attachment to it. There has to be meaningfulness to it. And there has to be a reward for learning something. That's what, that's what helps you retain information. And that's what inspires you to the next. Okay. And so, so you formulate a question that is meaningful to you. It's like, I want to understand, I, I, I want to know why I want to know how, or I want to know what if, okay. Those are the three big questions. Okay. And then you use Socratic reasoning. When you get to the whys. there's like, you ever heard of the five whys? No, I haven't. Okay. So um, I don't know if you, do you have, you, you, you probably don't, you probably don't have kids yet, right? 
not yet. <laughs> so little kids, little kids are notorious for just asking a, a like an extended series of why. It's like uh, yeah. Robin Williams used to tell a joke about his son sitting in the back seat of the car, and he say, "Say, Daddy, why is the sky blue?" And he said, "Well, because we, we have atmosphere." And it's like. Um, why do we have atmosphere? It's like, well, so we can breathe. And then you say, well, daddy, why do we have to breathe? And then he would just yell at him, shut up, you little, you know, whatever. Anyway, yeah. so, so, but, but, but if you think along those lines, that, that's what's going to drive your ability to learn. But you have to ask something that is meaningful, like, a, like, like there's got to be a reason for it. So you have a client that presents a certain way and you're, and you're, so then your first question is, why do they do that? And then you would say, well, if, if I understand how it's happening now, maybe I can discern maybe some of the whys. And then you go, but what if they do this instead of this? And so then you ask it the, these series of questions. If you, ask, if you ask a question, then your search becomes meaningful. And then you want to look at it from as many perspectives as possible. Okay. So. Um, this would be like, okay, um, what's the textbook say? And then you go to uh, a mentor of sorts and you say, well, what do you think this, this means, right? You want to see this thing through as many lenses and filters and perspectives as possible. And then you say, okay, well, what's the physics perspective? What's the energy production perspective of this? What is the movement-based perspective of this? The more lenses you can see through, the greater your your representation of reality and the greater your level of understanding. That's how you're going to do this. But, but uh, let me caution you. It's going to take a long time. I know. No. Okay. So, I, I learned no, that. but it's like, Hey dude, this is supposed to be hard. It's supposed to take a long time. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm, sometimes I'm, I, I just have trouble accepting that. And I just, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, young and I'm am, curious. So I like, am 30 plus years into this. Okay. Still, wow. still trying to figure it out. Still frustrated, yeah. still learning. Right. It's just yeah. that I've, I've made more mistakes. I've had more failures. Therefore I've asked more questions. You can do the same yeah. thing, but you get that. So you're going to build this. Okay. It's just yeah. going to take you some time. All right. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Good to talk to you. I appreciate it. I got to run. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Have a great day. I'll see you on the coffee and coaches. All right. Excellent. I'll see you there. All right. Good morning, happy Wednesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, it is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow's Thursday, which means tomorrow, 6 a.m. coffee and coaches conference call as usual. If you haven't participated in these Q&A calls, I suggest you do, they are great, um, great people. Get yourself a cup of coffee, please join us, bring a question, happy to answer those um, with everyone's involvement. So again, it's been great. We're going to keep doing these. All right, digging into today's Q&A. This is with Ivan. Ivan's question had to do with when we see the knees moving inward on a squat. So he sees it with people that are descending in the squat. He sees people, some situations where they're ascending in the squat and he wanted to differentiate like what's the reasoning behind that. Um, a lot of times this stuff gets blamed on on some ridiculous things like weak gluteus medius or something like that. And that's just a misunderstanding of the representation of the mechanics of the hip. And so we have to, again, understand the reasoning. So we break that down for you. We also talk about uh, a few solutions as well. One of the things you want to recognize is, is um, you want to avoid being um, myopic in regards to your evaluation of the situation. If so, if you're just looking at the knee 
and you say, well, I put the band around the knees and then the knees hold their position, um, you have to look at what else you did to the system. So in many cases, what we'll end up with is another substitution. So it's kind of like giving uh, a swing fault to a golfer to fix a swing fault in many cases. You just have to be aware of what you're looking at. Because in some situations, for instance, um, you may actually increase the orientation of a pelvis that you didn't want to do in the first place. And so again, just keeping those things in mind. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday, and I'll see you tomorrow. Hello, Bill. Greetings. How are you? Outstanding. Awesome. Um, so my question is, I've noticed with some people when we do box squats, there's their knees buckle in during the the descent, and with other people, when they start ascending. So I'm just wondering, like, what's the difference between the two? Um, one's going up and one's going down. Well, yeah, that I realized. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So, so let's think about this. So, so what is, what is the intention of the strategy, regardless of which direction that you're going? What is, what is the intention with that strategy? You mean like with the exercise or? Are, what are they trying to increase as they're performing that stretch? Say it out loud, Manuel. Go ahead. They're trying to produce force into the ground. Right. So they're trying to push harder, right, into the ground. Okay. okay. So it's an IR compensatory strategy. They're trying to create more IR. So if I see it on the way down, what do you think that would mean if they're trying to, so they're trying to push harder into the ground on the way down. What do you think that would mean? What if they didn't do that? What if they didn't do that? What would the squat look like? Uh, normal? No. No? Say it, Alec. Go oh. ahead. Say it out loud, Alec. They, they would just fall down too quick. They would accelerate into the ground. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're trying to slow down their descent on the way down if their knees are coming in. They're, so they're, they're, their innards would drive them down into the box too fast. Right. So they have okay. to create more IR to slow down. OK, so that, does that mean that they're basically yielding too much or. Well, OK, you got you got two possibilities, right? They're changing levels. So there's going to be eccentric orientation that's occurring. OK, OK, because I'm changing joint position. So I have a muscle position change that goes with the joint position. Right now, if so, if I am. Uh, if I am eccentrically orienting very quickly, if I am yielding very quickly, that's a lot of downward velocity. Okay. And if I don't want to bang into the box and I can't control it, I have to come up with a strategy that will allow me to slow that down. Do you understand? Yeah. Okay. On the way up, it's just the reverse. It's like they're already down and now they need a strategy that helps them to concentrically orient more to allow themselves to push themselves up out of the squat. So it's, it's an IR strategy in both situations. It's just different 
circumstances because of the, the exercise itself. Okay. Do you understand? But <clears throat> uh, yeah, but so with both cases, you would need to increase space in the pelvis to 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 uh, to do the movement without the compensation. Um, it, it, it may just be that the forces are too high. Okay. So the downward force is, is, is too high. So for instance, um, one of the simplest of solutions would be to do like a reverse band squat. So you okay. get the rubber bands ab above them. Right. So I reduce the downward force and then see what happens there. Right. Or a, a chop. Say so what? A chop. Maybe. Well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something that unweights them, right? Yeah. Gives them an opportunity to create the, the, the internal pressure that they need to manage the downward forces, right? So you have to train that concept first or modify the exercise to reduce those forces so they don't have to use the compensatory strategy. I have no idea what the solution would be. That's your job. Okay. Okay. But as long as you understand what they're trying to do, they're trying to push harder because the, again, the force downward exceeds their ability to, to um, manage the, the, uh, the force itself. And so they have to use a compensation and it's an IR compensation. Okay, so it's not always an issue of, of space, but sometimes uh, that person just can't produce that, that much force yet and you have to regress them before you do the, the certain activity with them. Yes, sir. Yeah. Cause think about this. If, if, so if they're eccentrically orienting, that's an expansive strategy. ER is an expansive strategy. You give them more ER, you may take away the strategy that they're using. Right. So yeah. let's just say, let's just say that, that, that um, you have a great client, you give them the cue and you say, hey, I don't want your knees to come inward like that. And for some reason that they are able to keep their knees out, chances are, as Alex said, you're going to see the acceleration downward because they're falling into their ER space without enough IR superimposed. Okay, yeah. I thought I would just like put a band around the knees and <laughs> that would fix it because... Uh, oh, hang on. Yeah. Sometime, sometimes it does. Because of because you keep the eccentric orientation of the the internal uh, rotators or uh, the external rotators, sorry. No, it, it, what it what it does is allows them to to um, uh, chances are what they're going to do is they're going to create an IR strategy elsewhere, right? So it makes the knee look better, but they might have to do okay. something else. So if you were standing to the side and you watch them do this with the band, and if you're only paying attention to the knee and you miss the pelvis orienting anteriorly, right? You just, yeah. like I said, you just, you might've just given them another fault. Okay. You have to so pay attention to what? Solution. What? Say what? Uh, that's definitely not a solution then. Well, but it, it, it can be, right? Okay. But, but again, just recognize what you're looking at first, and then you can start to, to determine the solution. 
and trial and error is acceptable. Okay, it's very scientific, but just have, have a reason to do what you're doing. Don't just randomly throw things at people, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm getting there. It's uh, <laughs> hard to understand these things, you know, so. I understand. I guess so. Okay. I understand. Uh, this okay, is not that was everything. This is not easy. That's why not everybody, can, <laughs> that's why not everybody gets to do it. Because yeah. it's not easy and it takes time and struggle and frustration and miserable, horrible failures and, you know, replacing steering wheels when you break through the old one with your forehead, you know? Definitely. All Thanks. right. Bill, what would be a case where that would work? Because I feel like you have to address the orientation first before even using bands. So where would bands be like the home run move? Okay, you mean like for a for a, okay, so let's 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 get specific with context here. Okay. Right. What's the intention? What are uh, we trying so to do? in Ivan Ivan's case, you know, he didn't he didn't like the knees coming in, so he right. wanted them to so the band yeah. definitely can keep the knees out via a a load, right? So it gives it, it creates a leading resistance. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it helps promote an, an, um, the maintenance of a, an ER representation, but I still have to produce the IR somewhere. Okay, now, if you think about the, the possibilities here, so um, if you got somebody that um, um, cannot expand the, the angle of the IPA. So it's the ISA of the pelvis, right? So it's the infrapubic angle. If you can expand that, you can create concentric orientation. That would be, that would create an upward movement, which is your IR, right? Okay. So if I put some, the band around somebody's knees and they do that, I am successful. Because what I did is I changed the orientation of the, of the hip joint, which allowed the muscle orientation to change into a more favorable position. That actually can happen, okay? But that's, again, what I'm doing is I have to have an IR strategy available to me, okay? In a lot of cases, I put the band around somebody's knees, they push out against it, and then they have to anteriorly orient more because I have to create an IR force, right? And, but again, it's like, where are you looking? Are you looking through this little hole at somebody's knee and you go, oh, fix the problem. Did you just give them another alternative solution? That's the question mark. Got it. Yeah. Doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It just, you have to determine what is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, I started working with a soccer player. Well, congratulations. He, he uh, rolled his left ankle. He had like a, a left ankle sprain about a couple of years ago. And yeah. after that, he developed a bilateral knee pain. Uh, and um, so I evaluated him and I'm somewhat confused about his uh, pelvis position and shape. I think I figured it out. Uh, so on the left side, his hip external rotation is about 20 degrees. Internal, you say 20? 20 on the left uh, and about 20 internal. 
and he stands there with like a a little bit of a left side bend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not a side and, bend. It's not a side yeah, bend. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a side bend, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Then cool. on the right side, he has a little bit more external rotation, so probably about thirty degrees. Yep. And then uh, internal rota internal rotation is limited, so yep. it's about you know like ten degrees, something like yeah. this. Yeah. This is awesome. That, Perfect. Yeah. So I was thinking that he's kind of a narrow intersternal angle and he's being pushed on the left side. Uh, and the left side is ahead of the right side. Yep. But what kind of threw me off is that if you look at him from the side, his right tibia angle is like right knee is in front of his uh, left knee. So it seems like he's more forward on the right side. Yeah. And Why is that? Yeah. So, so I think I figured it out. Uh, so if, <laughs> if you uh, watch him uh, run or do a cut of his left leg, yeah. he, so as he lands with his left foot, so for example, he's running, yep. uh, he's going to land on the outside of his heel. Why? The Why? 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 Why does he do that? Because he's, like, because he's way late on that side, right? So he, he's, he doesn't okay. have internal rotation. So he doesn't have internal or external on the left side. Yeah. Okay. So, so here's how he does it. Okay. He's got to, he's got to, he's going to try to turn his whole spine and pelvis. So your hip measures on the table are not hip measures. They're his spine turning. Okay. Yeah. So here's the problem with that. He doesn't have the relative motions to capture internal rotation on the external rotation at the ground level. So he's literally adjusting his foot and ankle from way up into the lumbar spine. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That does not allow you to fine tune the relative motions from the top down. So literally he's, he's got a three and a half foot space that he's trying to coordinate his foot position with. And if he's off by just a little bit, yeah, ankle sprain. He would sprain his ankle, right? Yeah. 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 So now he has, so, so he's, he's literally um, preventing the normal relative motions. So do you think he has normal relative motion at the knee? Oh, of course not. His uh, tibia is like externally rotated. Right. And also when he's starting off the left side, he's like on the outside of his foot and he's flexing his knee like crazy, yeah. which is his trying flex his knee, but he doesn't have access to that hip uh, knee internal rotation, right? Correct. So, so, so to drop the, so to drop enough internal rotation inside of his base of support, he's got to keep the knee bent outward, right? Yeah. Like the bow and arrow. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then the, the ankle collapsing in, that will be like the, without any relative motion. So that's the, the yeah, callus. So it's an ER foot. It's an ER foot. He gets enough weight over the foot yeah. to push it down but again he's doing it he, he might even be using his neck to drive this show who knows oh, sure. it's, it's like way up it's like way up he put force and he's like this when he's yeah, yeah exactly so now we're back to the very first question of the day where we were looking at at colin's patient doing the chopping activity it's like that's how your guy's getting into orientation into the ground right and he's got to create all this compensatory strategy right and then on the other side, on the right side, when you watch him run from the back, so his tibia is not as externally rotated. Actually, his knee is kind of pointing in a little bit when you yep. look at him from the front. Yep. And he is uh, 
pushing the knee, the knee in. So the foot lands in a pretty good position, but the knee is coming in when he is trying to put force into the ground. Okay, so when you see the knee going in, that is the pelvis orienting into that compensatory strategy. So again, it's like, you, that's how he's creating the downforce. He's, he's right. doing it from above the pelvis. Right. Not the so best the way to capture internal rotation, right? So the difference would be that on the, right, he has more external rotation superimposed on the left side than the right side. Orientation, yes. Yes. Or, orientation. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, that's sir. Different. And then his, so the, and then the reason that his right knee is in front of his left knee is because his left hip socket is pointing outwards to the left, and yes. his right hip socket is still somewhat antiverted. So that's why it seems from the side that he is kind of like in this position. Yeah, I would. I'd be really careful. I'd be really careful with the concept of antiversion under this circumstance. But relative to the left side, you're probably right. Correct. Right. You're so probably correct. His, his ilium on the left side is more ER than the one. Oh, sorry, on the left oh, yeah, side. Yeah. There's no question. No question. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. 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 I think so you got that's it. That's why I got like the knee presentation because that's what that's threw me off. Yeah. 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 And then again, so so it's just a matter of of you you know, you know what shape the pelvis is in, right? You got to yeah. make that change. You got to get the proximal IR. Right, mm -hmm. so the, the shape change to get the the ER of the pelvis without without the compressive strategy, superimpose the IR from the from the top down, right? Because yeah. he's trying to he's trying to create a top down IR, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just it, there's no relative motion there. Right, and then yeah. in this situation, like let's just say what's going on at the lower back at the lower spine, so S one L five. Yep. Is it just that he is he is like the anterior orientation is a little bit more on the left than the right. It, yes, sir. It's like similar strategy, but it's more uh, like- It's more of a turn. It's more of a turn. If you think of it as a turn. Mm -hmm. On so, the left. So, so what, what will be the difference at that area on the left and on the right side? At that so so push, the left, push the left side forward a little bit more like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's mm -hmm. actually like this. So he's like yeah, that. Yeah. He's like that. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And but he's still anteriorly orienting when he's contacting the ground. He has anterior orientation on the left and the right side when he's contacting on the right side. Correct. He has to. He has to. Because again, he's not using he's not using relative motion through the hip to position his foot down. He's using relative motion in the spine, right? Yeah. So it's above the so the pelvis is one piece, and it's just just it is it's like he does this, he does this to get the left side down, he does that to get the right side down. So he runs like that. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's exactly how it runs. <laughs> well, at least he's not all over the place. Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> does that does that help you? Yeah. Okay. I I think yeah. I think you were on point. Like even before you asked the question. So that was good. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand and. It is perfect. All right, happy Friday. Uh, for those of you on the two-week sprint, this is your recovery weekend. All right, um, quick housekeeping item. 
application for the Intensive 16 uh, opened last night. We got a lot of applications overnight um, from the mentorship list. So the mentorship list, we're gonna let that run a little bit through the rest of the day today, and then we're gonna open it up a little bit. We probably won't be open very long, so I suggest that if you wanna to apply to the Intensive, um, you do it um, as quickly as you can, but be thoughtful in your answers on the application, please. Digging into today's Q&A, this is with Ian. Ian has a great foundational question that everybody needs to watch because we're talking about the execution of, of how we coach breathing during activities. So the thing we want to remember is that we move via shape change. So the lever pulley system is great if you're dead, not if you're a living human being. So we want to think about shape change. And so when we're talking about the breathing, one of the influences of breathing is promoting the shape change. So it's not about maximal efforts, it's about the appropriate effort. It's about the chasing the appropriate shape change to get the desired result. Many people are overshooting or undershooting. And so this, this uh, Q&A is a great discussion about how and why we do certain things. So if you're confused about breathing or you're not getting the successes um, that you're expecting, then you're gonna wanna watch this. Thank you, Ian, great question. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding weekend. Get your rest, get some reading done, and uh, go to the YouTube channel. Get yourself subscribed there so you can get all these videos, and I will see you next week. Hi, Bill. How you doing, sir? I, I wanted to, to go through the uh, going off the Monday's iFest call, uh, I wanted to ask you, I was thinking in my head about the breathing you explained, uh, about the uh, cueing breathing when doing the positional drills or like the floor-based um, rehabish uh, drills. Uh-huh. And as I understand it, I after your talk on, on Monday, I cannot see on a scenario where I would be cueing a long prolonged uh, exhale because there would there would always um, be a product like the a product of that would be a superficial compression of the musculature. Ah, I see what your problem is. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if, if my goal is relative motions, which usually is when I get someone on, on a table and try to yeah. recapture yes. the excursions, yes. I cannot see when I would. Okay. Yeah. All right. So here's the problem. It's the position that you're using that is now creating the, the interference to allow that compressive strategy to occur. All right, so let me give you a for instance. Um, okay, uh, raise your arms overhead, please. Okay, so if you were to exhale, okay? If you were to exhale, hard as you can. It's like, get all the air out. <laughs> I got everybody doing it. <laughs> all right, now, did your arms pull downward? Yeah. Okay, that's wrong. Okay. Okay. So if 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 I am positioning you, my 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 goal is to create a physical shape, right? That 
allows me to put air in certain places and then allows me to exhale air out of certain places. Okay. So if I put your arms in a space, I'm promoting a shape. Inhale right? position. So, okay. In this case, in this case, what I was doing is I was biasing you towards that inhaled position. So, so your pump handle would essentially be up. Yeah. Okay. For the pump handle to go down in that circumstance, your arms would have to move. Yeah. That's past the end of the exhale. Okay. That's, that's orientate, orientating my, my well, that's you're, orientation. You're, just, you're allowed. Oh, so, so here's, here's exactly what you're doing. You are reinforcing the problem. You're allowing them to use the superficial compressive strategy that they came to see you with in the first place. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. I'm trying to put you in a position where I get an expansion where you have been compressing and you just allowed somebody to, to move into that space again. You have achieved nothing in, the, in that circumstance. Okay, do you okay. understand? Yeah, but right. if I... So the end of the exhale is not when they're done getting the air out. The end of the exhale is, is when they're finished in the space that I put you in. And then if they go past that, you are now reinforcing the compressive strategy. That is the problem. All right. Yeah, okay. I see. You. Huge. Yeah. Have a great day. Huge, huge question. Thank you for thank you for asking that. Because that's what that this is where a lot of people they think they think that more is better. No, better. And that's 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 what I've been doing. And it's but now now thinking about it is. Yeah, if I... Okay, so remember remember two things. Remember two things. Okay, <laughs> let's go back to the uh, Collins uh, uh, manual stuff where he said, I'm gonna force, I'm gonna force the expansion, right? Okay, if you force an inhale or force an exhale, you have just made a mistake because anything that is forced is going to require the, the increased recruitment of muscle activity that is interference to relative motion. Yeah. Okay. Because that's how, that's how you play a sport. That's how you lift something heavy is you use the forced activities because I need the higher force output, right? Relative motion cannot be forced. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the minute you overshoot the breath, the minute you overshoot the inhale, you're, 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 you're literally sticking them right back where they came from, which is the mistake. Yeah. Okay. And in, in the, in the, at the same time, if we use the same position, if if they exhale, I'm getting the compensatory exhalation and I'm getting the pump handle down. I'm I'm getting like I'm not getting a, a thing I want. But if I if I like inhale too much, I'm just gonna extend and yeah, all right. And I'm not getting yeah, yeah. Perfect. So 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 let's let's talk about this a little bit more because I think I think it's important. I think people are expecting um, the the client athlete, whatever it might be, is I, I put you in in the correct position. I get you to execute some I, I superimpose some breath on top of it. Um, and then they're expecting it to look perfect, like right off the bat. And you got you have to give people an opportunity to learn how to do this. Right. So there's going to be overshoots and there's going to be undershoots and there's going to be like 
you know, you're, you're going to put an extremity kind of off a little bit. And this is why this is why you have to understand the principles behind the activities that you're doing so you can make the adjustments in real time. Right. So if I put somebody in a position, let's, let's say I, I've got your arms overhead because I want to hold the I want to hold the thorax in a position as you breathe. Right. And let's just say the angle is off just a little bit. Right. Let's just say I got you. I, I got your arms too high. Right. And that's going to pull you into your compensatory strategy. Well, I'm going to be able to see that in the breathing because they won't they won't be able to change the shape that I'm looking for. Right. Let's just say that I'm trying to get somebody that, that trying to make them look more like a cylinder. Right. Because they're they're really flat and I want to make I want to pop them back up into a cylinder. It's like if I overshoot the extremity position, I have pushed you into the compensatory strategy. So positioning matters. Right. But I can tweak that. All I have to do is run the experiment. I say, hey, bring your arms down about 10 degrees and let's try that position. Cool. Okay. Maybe that's better. Maybe it's not. I don't know, but this is how you do stuff. Right. And then you're coaching the breathing simultaneously and you're, you're, you're tweaking this position until you start to see the right shape change, but it might take time and it takes practice because the people that you're working with, they don't understand what you understand. Right. You're trying to follow the instructions. They have no idea what, what is the good outcome. That's your job. Right. You got to yeah. figure that, that part out. But, but again, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. So you have, to, you have to become a great coach. I have to understand the positions, the principles behind the positions. I have to understand what an, an effective breath under this circumstance looks like. And then that's the shape change that I'm chasing. Sometimes you got to lay hands on somebody to help them create the shape change, Colin, right? Got to, got to be able to manually apply the, the pressure to, to create the shape change. Sometimes it's just a matter of like, oh, you know what? I need to put you on your side to do this. Okay. okay. But, but the idea is, is you got to understand where relative motion lives. It's not at the extremes. Okay. okay. So and extreme inhale, extreme exhale, bad idea, bad idea. And go, going off of that, let's say we have a female volleyball player who, who cannot produce great concentric orientation, like, could I drive uh, like IR, IR biased position with forceful exhalations to, because I'm in, I'm in IR biased position and I'm creating the compression by purpose to create the more overcome and- Okay, all right, hang on. So, so now, we have, now we have to say, Again, when you say forceful, yes. Is it maximum force? Probably not. All right. Take a, take a tube of toothpaste. Okay. And I want you to squeeze it between your hands from the top. Where's the toothpaste go? Up. Uh, no, you're, you're squeezing it at the top of the tube. Grace, Grace, say it out loud. Where's the toothpaste go? Go to the sides. Goes down. It goes down. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Can I fit? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Is that direction that you want this, this, this person to go? No. <laughs> Probably not. So, so forceful is relative to the outcome. It's like, does she need to exhale to create an exhalation strategy? Absolutely. Is this exhalation strategy superficial where you're squeezing the bejesus out of her, or are you trying to push the outlet up? 
Yeah. The, so, the second. Okay. So let's do this. What if we put her in a position where it's easier for her to get the outlet to go up? Now she doesn't have to rely on the superficial strategy, right? And she can just breathe normally or, yeah. Well, you decide. See, this yeah. is this is where you become the great coach and you say, okay, let me put you here. Just start, just start breathing in, in whatever manner you think is appropriate. You say, just start. And then you change and then you tweak and then you change. Right. So let's just say you got her like slightly inverted. So you got her hips up a little bit higher than her, than her shoulders. She's pushing through her arms. Right. So her arms are overhead. So kind of the similar thing we were talking about a minute ago. Right. You got her in that kind of a position. That's a squat. Right. That's a squat. It's a variation of a squat, but it's upside down. Right. So you're teaching her to push the, the outlet up. Right. To concentrically orient her, her anterior outlet. And then maybe you and can put her back up and get the yeah. same and get the same result. But you but at least you started her in a position where gravity was less of an issue. So she doesn't have to go back to the very beginning of of this question is like then she doesn't have to over recruit the superficial strategy for compression. Compression is important, yes, but I don't want I don't want somebody that squeezes the bejesus out of themselves and then the outlet goes downward and you stuck them to the ground. Yeah, because it's the same. We we lose relative motions and yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and they can't move. They literally can't move. You just, yeah, you just made her heavy. You just made her heavy in the feet, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Bill. Very You're helpful. Welcome, great, great question. Very useful. Very useful.